Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Screenwriting Life. Today we're going to do a deep dive on want. What does a character, your character, want? But before we get into that, we're going to talk about our weeks or what we like to call adventures in screenwriting. Lorian, how was your week? Uh, It was just delightful. Fine, as always, regular, no drama, Nothing interesting happened. Um, that's a big fat lie. But uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about, I was revisiting. So I have this incredibly robust drafts file in my email, like emails I've started, um, uh, notes to myself, titles of things that I don't know what they are. But I did find this email that was a letter for myself called Goals for 2021. So I realized that that is last year. But um, I don't know who suggested I do this, or Meg, if this was a practice you and I started a while ago, where I wrote in first person present what I wanted to happen. So in mid-June, I get a call from blank, and this happened. So I I, um, got really detailed about it. And I really like it. Of course, none of these things happened in this particular way. And one of the projects that I'm talking about happening in mid-June is still in development. So now I'm just like, maybe that'll happen this June. Yeah, of course. Um, But I really liked this way of writing. You know, I have an assistant who blah, blah, blah. I have a producer who blah, blah, blah. Um, And it was a way for me to really put into specific words what I want speaking of character wants, rather than just, I want my next show to go. It was, I want my next show to go, or my next show is going, and these are the people who are involved with me. And these are the challenges that we have that we overcome in this way. And these are the ways that it impacts an audience. And this is the network it's on. And I feel like I abandoned this document, obviously, but I'd like to do a new one um, and refresh it like every month based on what happens because everything changes so quickly. Um, but I really like this because it felt like it minimized my imposter syndrome a bit that I could imagine what I want and go after it and that I don't have to listen to no, or that's not going to work, or that's not the way things work. It's, this is the way things are going to work for me. Um, so that was, that was it for me in terms of sort of reimagining my, next steps. So that that's, you know, other than that, I got some notes on a project and I'm still in development on this other project and I'm restarting another one that I really love and care about. So uh, then I'd like to write something new, just something new, some new thing. I got halfway through a play the week before my daughter was diagnosed and I'd like to go back and just finish it. Right. Just finish that play. Um, So yeah, so that was my week. I love that you're Meg. defining, I love that you're defining your wants. I think that's the more specific you can get, the better long-term ones, short-term ones. Not only does that help your brain, like you said, feel empowered and like it's not impossible and you don't get lost in the kind of broad context of, but it also can start to show you steps you need to take. 
Like if your brain sees, I want this by this date, well, how the hell are you going to get there? Well, what's the wants you need to do? You know, what are the steps to get there? It really starts to make it concrete, right? Um, I also, uh, you know, just in the terms of the context, wants can make you very vulnerable and they can push you to uh, evolve yourself um, because I usually want things, oh, I don't know. I'm not going to say like bigger. <laughs> I want, you know, I want big wants. So, uh, and I've learned to have that, by the way, and we're going to talk about that. But um, I'm in the vulnerable stage right now, and my brain has just turned on fire. Um, I can, I just this morning talking to my husband realized what switch got turned on. Like my, my amygdala is just going, it is just going like a siren in my head. You're going to die, pull back. It's like free falling without a parachute going. And um, it got triggered from a multiple uh, of things, uh, a conversation I had with somebody who was very erratic and uh, I didn't feel safe creatively. And then, um, you know, notes, notes will turn it on. And then a series of things have turned it on, including past things that are being mirrored right now. So my brain isn't noticing that it's in the past. It thinks it's happening again. Don't walk in the room, don't walk in the room kind of stuff. Um, it's not real, it's not happening right? The, but the alarm is still going, the amygdala is still going off. So the want feels dangerous right now. I, I feel very, very vulnerable to want this, to put myself in the position of wanting, to put myself in the position of not knowing, which is incredibly vulnerable experience, um, to put yourself in a, a, a position of, let's, authority is a weird word for a writer because we never feel like authorities, but you are because you have to deliver, right? Like people are depending on you. You know, and I never want to disappoint people. And so it's a bit of a spiral. I'm in a bit of a spiral right now, but it happens. You know, at some point you just have to forgive yourself if the, if the switch flips, because if you don't, you're not going to turn it off either because you're beating yourself up, which is now feeding the, the flame and the lava. I'm trying to use it to evolve myself. I'm trying to sit with it and see what it's trying to tell me and, you know, talk back to that part of my brain that it's actually not happening. And you're with, you know, these people are trustworthy and, they're not beyond trustworthy. They are, they are, you know, supportive and helpful and everybody, it's not happening right now. This is not what's happening. Uh, what happened to you in the past, which I talked a little bit about on the episode with my son, right? When I had that traumatic experience, that trauma has, even though it's years ago, resurfaced because some part of my brain sees the same mirror. Uh, and so it's up and walking around and I'm going to try to use it to calm myself down and grow. But um, it's very hard, you know, like I'm for, I'm forgetting things. I'm kind of spacey, mm. I'm tripping. Like I, I'm, I'm in some sort of dissociative experience. Yeah, and this I, is at least PTSD I, does that. It's right? a little PTSD. And again, yeah. I, you know, I, to, to be respectful to the people who've experienced war, but I did experience a kind of a death moment uh, in that experience that I had. So it's, uh, it's, it's rushing through. And so I'm going to try mm. to use it for myself. And, you know, it's tricky because, the alarm's going off and I have to be present. I have to be present creatively. I have to, you know, to do what we talk about, which is put lava into something. If the alarm's going off, that's hard because the alarm is don't do that. Oh my God. It's like exposing your neck for the knife, but it's not happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. and I know as soon as I get through this gate, and my brain sees it's not happening. I know it's just going to go. Oof. It's 
So and we talk a lot about getting notes and then it's fuck you, fuck me, what's next? And that is normal stuff. This is a little bit different for me right now. This is a little higher, you know, end. And I'm and it's affecting my my family. Like, and I'm just being very honest with my family. Like, I'm in a weird place right now. It's not you. My brain is on fire. I just need to push through this and learn from it, evolve it, let it see that it's not happening now. So I I want to talk about it too, because I know when we talk about, hey, do your lava as if like, yeah, just do it. This can happen. The the it can trigger stuff and you can, your brain can catch on fire. Um, I do think I'm going to try to put it into the work. I'm going to spend this afternoon. You know, it's ironic, right? Because, you know, you write about your characters and then what you're going through is sometimes I feel like you call it to yourself, right? Like if you're writing something about trust, guess what? You don't trust anybody or whatever, you know what I mean? like, fuck or whatever, you know, um, you feel, you know, your character is full of self-loathing. So something you're full of self-loathing, like you do call it up, right? So um, I'm going to try to just do free writing just for myself to dump it somewhere and let the character hold it for me and let her process it for me um, to try to uh, use that imagination in a different way. Uh, so this we'll brings, can I interrupt you for just a second? Of this brings up something, a question that I think we get asked, like I get asked, um, how do you get into the lava? How do you use the lava without hurting yourself? Right. Sort of that because we're right. not psychologists, we're not psychiatrists, right. we're not mental health workers. So yeah. it's sort of this, we're asking people to, to do dangerous things. And so it's I not think- dangerous. I mean, it can, it can feel mentally, dangerous. Emotionally, yeah. it can yeah. feel, the feelings can feel very, like what you're talking about. It feels very, very vulnerable, vulnerable. Right. very dangerous. And um, so I think, you know, you're talking about free writing and putting it into the work. Maybe there's a series of simpler exercises that people mm. who aren't used to, being, you know, where you are, you're very self-aware. You've been doing this for a long time. So you say, I'll put it into the work. I'll do some free writing with my character, but like maybe as an emerging writer, there might be easier steps to get there. And maybe that's, well, maybe what we can do is to a dark room, going into a dark room, right. You've talked about this before, right. And just writing in the dark, whatever it is you're feeling, right. You're in a closet, you're protected, you're dark. What I do is I ask, I ask my higher self a question. And then mm-hmm. I don't even look at what is answered, you know? So again, that's just the, this crazy thing I did when I was uh, but I in, think in a that's hard place. Valuable, but- that's valuable in terms of we're writers and we think I'll put this into the work. And I think there's a part of us that wants to jump right to, I'll put this pain into the scene or this discovery into the scene where there's there might be other ways to get at that, which is locking yourself in a dark bathroom, asking yourself a higher, uh, asking your higher self a question, and then just writing and not even or asking at it. your like, younger self a question. Or and, we're, mm-hmm. and I want to get that into that with wants too. Well, I think we could do a whole episode on dealing with lava, and we'll get some uh, expert advice too, like from our friend Dara, who's a, a, oh. a psychiatrist. But, you know, so that we should make sure that right. what we're what we're giving is is a safe. Uh, yes, thing to do I think that's really started. important. So we'll do a yeah. whole, we'll learn from it too. And maybe we'll have a guest, who knows? Um, so let's do that. Um, Jeff, do you have anything to add before we jump into our topic? I can keep it quick. It's been an interesting week for me. And I was um, texting you, Meg, about something else. And then I mentioned, <laughs> basically, I've hopefully I haven't been overselling it, but next week is our um, micro budget feature filmmaking Patreon workshop. So Now's your run chance. By Jeff, run by Jeff Graham. Yeah, run by me. And um, so if you're interested in seeing the movie, um, join our top tier on Patreon and you'll get a screener. And that's what I did this week is I sent screeners out to all of our top tier patrons. Congratulations. Thank you. Putting yourself out there. It's so funny. Big I felt work. like I felt like for a month I was like so excited. And then all of a sudden I hit send and I was just like, oh shit. 
what have I done? And I have to throw up right now. <laughs> I, it truly is right. like I was ready to actually vomit. Like that is kind of distinctly the feeling. Um, and the funny thing is, it's like when you send work to a studio or your manager or anyone, right? Um, and you kind of want to like hit send and almost pretend you didn't and just be like, okay, this doesn't exist until I get notes back or feedback and like, I'm just going to silo it off. But <laughs> the problem was this service I'm using, I had it tuned to send me a notification anytime someone received the screener. Oh no, know, burn so. that. Oh no, no, no. So no. unfortunately oh for the next like hour. Tiny, tiny cuts every single time. Truly, literally. Oh I mean like God. for the next hour, my phone was just going. Oh my God. Which symbolized each person receiving the movie. Um, so that was a nightmare. But besides that, things are fine. Okay. <laughs> the only thing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like Netflix and they can track when people turned it off. And I'm thinking, don't ever tell a creative any well, of that data. Don't ever tell a creative any of that data. That's the other that's mistake is this nightmare. does. I should probably turn it off. I should don't probably- Don't turn that off. Turn it off. It's nice because I'm seeing who's finishing it, but I'm also seeing like- no. Commonly no, around minute 23, no. it seems like people are losing. Speed. Okay, listen, I'm going to tell you something. If you want to record that data and look at it five years from now, two years from now, when you have separated from it and it's no longer your quote unquote child and the umbilical cord is done, that might be helpful to right. know, hey, in my running process, this is where I lost the audience. That is good information for a producer or for you a couple years from now. Right. <laughs> I mean, I know in feature films, I mean, you have to go in and sit with an audience and they're not laughing. I know. That mother stood up and took her kids out. Yeah, it's oh. it's nightmarish. But the only reason you get to I'm go in the bathroom curious, and listen to what people say about your movie. It's like there's one scene I could still cut, and it's like you know I love TV. I love TV because <laughs> you never I know. love TV. I'm like, I, I might be done know. with features. So you're saying you're, that there's a scene you can cut, and you're. But do you have a producer on this? Do you have a a, a friendly? I do. Producer? I do. I've have got have a them producer. do it. I know, you're then right, give them the too. alerts. Give it's that person like, the alerts and they can say to you, you know what? We got the alerts. We don't need to cut that scene. Or you know what we should talk about? That's it. Do you know what I need? I need it to tell me when someone finishes it. That's what I need. It's just- No, because me. then your brain no. is going to go, oh my God, only two people finished it? <laughs> like right. there's, there's no, no winning. Win. There is no, no win. winning. No. Um, don't do it. This is called morbid curiosity. I think that's exactly Knock right. It or self-sabotage. <laughs> Who knows? Yes. Um, you know, it's a, don't do it. You're I trying to protect yourself by bringing yourself down. Don't do it. Well, that's good advice. I will say the nice distraction has been kind of planning the curriculum for this class. And that's been fun. I, I do love to teach. That's what I studied. I taught a class leading up to the film. So I feel like that's a really healthy way for me to feel like I'm still engaging with the movie without like burying myself in a trench with it. And like feeling like I can mine productivity out of it, even if if creatively or career-wise, it doesn't do exactly what I want, using it as an opportunity to teach others has been like really valuable. So mining productivity. That says a lot about you, Jeff. <laughs> That's mining. Fine. That says exactly where I am right now oh. with it. I need I mean, to by the way, I'm I'm in that club of mining productivity. I just never thought of it that way. <laughs> and that it's wonderful. But I'm totally with you. That's a producer brain right there. That's Let's mine some productivity brain. out of this. It's the budget that keeps popping into my brain, like making sure I can milk every dollar we put, which is also totally. unhealthy. But I you're and right. yet to I totally get it. Yes. All right. Let's move on to wants. Uh just so that we have time for our topic. Um, Cause you know, we three can chat <laughs> for the whole time. Most of the questions, most of the notes we get have to do with answering this. What does the character want? Why do they want it? How right. are they gonna get it? What's in their way, right? All right. these things are, is structure. 
Well, the want is structure. I also think that there's been a, a lot in the last, I don't know, however many years, decade, I don't know, between you know want versus need. And that's the kind of studio executives will ask you, you know, it's very much in the vernacular now of development and it's valid. And you should know the difference between the want and the need for sure. The need is, is really, really important. The wound, a lot of people talk about, totally need to know all of that, 100%. But people don't talk, people kind of set, slough off the want as if, it's you know not that important or it's the third cousin or it's the thing that's wrong or whatever. And I just wanna reclaim it a little bit today. Um, and I had a friend once who, whenever she had a question, she would take the, a word of her question and then she'd go look in the dictionary. And so I did that with the word want, right? What is the word want mean? So there's a couple of different aspects to want. The first is to feel or desire strongly. And some synonyms are thirst, yearn, hunger, wish, long for, take to, which is a great one, right? What does what, what your character take to just naturally? Crave, itch. Here's another great one. Require, necessary, right? So these are positive aspects of a want. It can also, another definition of want is to be in want, to be in want, a state of lacking something, a state of extreme poverty or deprivation, which I think is so great to think of your characters. If you, you know, they may not be aware of this, but you as the creator, what state of deprivation, what is it, what in their life is in deprivation, whether they know it or not? Um, have a deficit, a shortage, a lack, a deficiency, a tightness, an absence, a missing, right? Again, they may not say that to their friends, but you as the creator have a sense that this want is going to be born from something. The want is not random and not part of the psychology of your character. It's not incident. A want is very much of your character and this lack of this yearning, this thirst, this hunger, the other, another great synonym for want that I was like, oh, it's so great is envy. Envy is a great way to figure out what you want. You know, uh, jealousy is an indicator that nature gives you to know what you want, right? Because you can see it much more clearly with the other person because they have permission, right? Whereas you may not. So the uh, last uh, synonym uh, pot was hunt or look for. So it's an active thing. It comes from a a sense of deprivation or something missing. It turns into a thirst or a yearning or a hunger or a craving, and it activates into a hunt for a particular reason, seeking, search, look for, right? So wants are, they are active. They drive the character. They drive the narrative, um, which is why they're so, so important because they give your character agency. They make your character active. They have a want. They're not just reacting to things that every other character wants. They're actually creating the story with their want. Um, and this is so important because so many emerging writers or first drafts of everybody, your character can be very reactive because the want is so buried because I guess we all feel like we are that character, right? So we're just, aren't we just responding to life coming at us and hurtling at us? 
Well, yes and no, you've created the life and what's hurtling at you. Not always, not every element, but a lot of it, right? Um, and your wants are kind of what thing that's gonna drive you to the next level and evolve you like we were talking about. So the other reason that wants are really, really important, I think, is I do think it is the doorway for the audience to connect to the character and therefore the story. I think even more important than wound. I'm not saying that you don't need to know the wound and the need. and it, it'll come out in the story, in the first act, wherever you want it to come out. But if we can connect to the want emotionally and we want it too, I don't think I can say that enough times. If we want what the character wants, even though PS, it's not good for them. I don't know that next one. If I already know their want is not good for them, the movie's over. The movie is over because now I'm ahead of them and I'm just waiting for them to figure out that their want is not right. But I am with them and understand what itch or yearning or hunger or deprivation this want is going to satisfy. And I'm also like, that's a great idea, right? Even if, you know, you can look at a negative character or a, or a, or a, or a TV show where everybody's kind of horrible people going after, after greed, that's fine. But that scene in that moment, dealing with that father, I get it. I get how this want is going to deal with this situation between this character and his father and I want it for him, right? I want his father to take a step back and see him or whatever it is that character is trying to do. So if you can learn, remember nothing else from today, it, make me want what your character wants, uh, at least in the scene. Better yet, especially if it's a feature in act one. It was hard in, in, because we had to, and I'm sure you remember, you remember this, Lorian, you know, to get the audience to agree with joy that sadness is bad for Riley was a haul, man. We have a whole montage in the movie about it, right? But I have to see the world the way Joy sees it and her want to protect Riley from being sad in this terrible time and to be joyful is something that we had, the audience had to agree with. Um, and, you know, the other thing to remember is the stronger the want, the stronger the drive. So if you're an emerging writer, just as a writing exercise, give them a big, strong, huge want and a big drive and just see what happens for yourself in your brain about that drive and that, that, that it versus they want just a teeny tiny thing. That's really high story math. That actually takes huge story chops, right? So, and we can talk about why our brains are not allowing our characters to want, which is a bucket I want to get in, but Lorian, jump in. So I have a question about we want what they want. We want what the character mm -hmm. wants, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like there might be some confusion sometimes with writers when they do this, is that we're not asking the audience to literally want that thing for themselves. We're asking them to want it, the, for, for the, the character. character to want it for themselves. So the relatability in there, because when we have an anti-hero, right? You look at the movie Falling Down. Is that the one where... Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Michael Douglas, isn't it? Michael Douglas, yes. We are with him, even though <laughs> he's not a well person, right? And he's doing really bad things. And this is, but we want that for him. We want him to stand up and take control of his life. I haven't seen the because movie in we've a been, long time. We've been so, yes. 
even in an anti-hero movie, we're so kind of in the situation in the world they're in and we've experienced the world the way they do and the frustrations have been building and building and we're with them and all those frustrations and our teeth are starting to clench and our hands are starting to clench in the theater. Because remember, the story is not asking you in that moment to think of yourself. The story is asking you to go inside of this character and live life and have a catharsis to use the Greeks idea of it through them because it's an easier way, a psychologically safer way to have the catharsis than to do it in your life and blow up your life. Let's take out all my frustrations and the I'm not gonna take it anymore, right? Let, let him do it. Like that these characters can hold for us our wants. They can be vessels that we can live through. And I know, yes, you're always told, write what you know. And if you have a hard time with wants, it's going to be hard to write a character that wants something. But I just want to talk about today, you do actually want stuff. You may say to me and say to yourself, you don't, but that you do. You do. It's under there. You may not have access to it. And we're going to talk about why you may not have access to it. But it is a daring act of bravery to write a scene of a character having a strong want if you are afraid of wants. Do it. It's just a cathartic experience for you on the page for you to start to see it's safe. And yes, Lorraine, 100%. It's about we want what the character wants for that character in that moment. You've created a world. You've created all these incidents are not just random. It's They're chosen to put the audience into that emotional state of the main character. We also identify with their situation, right? And falling right. down. Yeah, I've had those experiences in traffic with coworkers. I know what that character is feeling. So when he stands up, I keep saying stand up for him. I don't know why. When he's like, I'm not going to take it anymore. We wish we could do that in the version of our lives, in the version of our feelings for us. And that's what makes it aspirational. That's how we identify, right? We're not, I don't really want to do what he's doing, but I wish in the context of my life, the frustrations I feel, how I feel powerless and oppressed, that I could do that. And that's why it's that catharsis. Right. And that's why it can be, uh, you know, Martians on Mars in a world that you've built a world that is not relatable, the world, but it is relatable because within that world, those are just metaphors for what the human condition is and human relationships and where we miscommunicate and where we're frustrated and where we're searching for and what we're hungry. That hunger and thirst is still there, be it an animated dog or a Martian. It doesn't matter. Those are vessels for the same thing. And honestly, a lot of the notes that everybody gets this is what the studio, the producers, the directors, the actors are trying to dig down into. They're getting the top incidents, but they're not understanding or getting the juicy human um, underneath that, that those incidents are in there for, those wants, those desires. And so much of your act one is setting up so that the, the reader, the viewer is in. We are in, strapped in. You know, when, when Andrew Stanton says, when do I fucking love them? I promise you, you're probably loving them for their longing and how they're going to go for it, right? Or, or their skill or, you know, so it's, it is a very big, big part of your character in act one. Now there's different wants in terms of types of characters. And I talk about this sometimes, you know, the claiming character, the person who's going to claim their power, let's say Moana, because it's the one that's in my head. Um, they are right in their want. It's the how. And they think they want you know, from A to H, 
but actually the movie's going to show them they can go all the way to Z, that their want is just the tip of the iceberg of their power and what influence they can have over the world, right? So there's still an arc, there's still a, a, a change, but it's much more about empowerment and giving them more than they ever thought they could want, but there's still a want to start. You know what I mean? She's still singing a song about, I want to get off this island and, and sail. You know, she's still feeling that longing. There's still a hunger in her, even though she has no idea and is telling herself she shouldn't want it, right? But she is right. What she doesn't get is that it's not, it's not her. She thinks she has to go find someone to do the ultimate task. And the good thing is, guess what? You're going to do it. Like the universe sees you're much more powerful than you can even imagine that this little want is just a door to something so much bigger. And then there's more transformative characters, let's say Joy, who the want is not correct. The, the want is wrong. The, the want to keep sadness away from those core memories is incorrect. And the very fact that she wants it is what has created act two. And this is really hard to get because even in early drafts, it's a lot of incident that's creating act two. That's the strongest thing. And I'm not saying you can get it always, but the strongest thing is no, they created act two because that want actually kicked off this whole thing. I mean, that's what Joy has to face at the end of act two, which is, holy shit, I did, I did this. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes it can be incidental. Like I got swept away in a river, but the question is, why were you down by the river? And what were you doing? You know, like, what, who were you chasing? And like, you still, the reason you got swept away, you, you laid down those dominoes, right? So I do think that, and again, that's the harder act one, the transformative character, because you have to get the audience to agree with their want even though your act two is gonna show them and the audience that doesn't satisfy your need. As a matter of fact, it does the opposite. So Gloria, you wanted to say something? Yeah, when you're talking about our main character, why were they down by the river and Joy created her own problems. This is what we're talking about when we say active character. Exactly. They are the ones driving the plot. If, that, if you weren't down by the river, you wouldn't have gotten swept away by it. Like, why were you down by the river? Your choice to go down there, what you were looking for, what you were hungry for down by the river. What were you chasing to keep away from you because yep. you're afraid yeah. of it, whatever. Rather uh, then, than, I'm just taking a walk by the river and I get swept away, right? right? That's much different. That's an active. Then they become they go into the second act two world and it's like, eh, do I care? They didn't. It wasn't their fault, you know, so. Right. And they become more of a victim. And, and again, I'm not saying people aren't victims, but it's not a, it, it's not really why you want to watch the story. You want to watch the story, even if it's a, it's a victim story, we're watching for their response to it, right? Like, what are they mm -hmm. doing? And, you know, I will often have, when I was doing consults, I would have people argue, argue with me vehemently. My character doesn't want anything. That is their character. And I always just go, well, then you should go watch Blue because she vehemently, her want is to want nothing. Her want is to shut down her life and feel nothing. And she's so active in doing it. She sells her house. She, I mean, it's unbelievable how active she is and how then that sets up the narrative because life is not gonna let her do that because that's not how life works. So it's smashing into her resistance over and over. It's smashing in with the music. It's smashing in with the people she's meeting. It's smashing in and she's having to keep trying to resist the wave of life and wants coming back and being reborn. So if you have a character who doesn't want anything, they still do. Not wanting things is an active want. All right, go ahead, Ori. I have a character who wants things to be the way they were 
and and wants to maintain a status quo that doesn't exist anymore. She's working so hard to recreate what was, but it's impossible. But every time she does that, she fucks up something else and creates this like cyclone of fuckery, right? Because she has to move into out of that, right? And that will be her struggle. I want things to be the way they were, which is tricky and I'm really struggling with it because it's not an active, I want things to be this way or I want this for myself. It's that's tricky. That's a high losing. math. That's a high yeah. math one. That's so I'm, I'm, I've been struggling with it for quite a while, but it's, uh, yeah. I'm trying you would to have to out. start Hopefully to get into the definition for her specifically. What is how it was? What did that mean for mm -hmm. her? What did that look like? How did it function? And how is she literally trying to create very specifically those things? Do you know what I mean? Like, it, like when you get into mm -hmm. those situations, I think the more specific you can get and dig into her brain versus another person who might be in that same want, but they want it in a different way. They're the way it used to be could be completely different, right? Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that I think is super important to talk about when you're talking about wants is that there are writers, including myself, who have a very hard time identifying want even in themselves. This is a particularly true for women often, not just women, but women are enculturated not to want. We are enculturated to anticipate what other people want. We're enculturated to leave ourselves out um, and surface everybody else's wants as the safe way to exist in the world. Um, and that can be very tricky because you don't even know what a want feels like in your body anymore. And now I'm telling you to give a character a want, it can feel super dangerous because that's not your safe space. Um, it, it's a very vulnerable thing to want. Um, it's a very, very vulnerable thing to want. Um, and just to dig in that one more layer, and I'm speaking now of your characters. If you, you know, so many people think their characters don't want anything and that's who they want their characters to be, um, especially emerging writers. So let's just take, let, and let's just go down that road a little bit. So. Not finding yourself worthy to have a want. If you say, I, I, you know, my character absolutely doesn't want anything, then my question to you be, why does that character not believe they're worthy enough to have one? Have their needs been unmet for so long that they've pushed it away for so long that they don't even have a tat, they don't even know they're there anymore? Because you know, when a child's needs are consistently not met or responded to, eventually they will stop wanting or even needing that because not getting met is too painful. Um, so they turn those sensations in their body down. So a, a place to go look at your characters, where, where do they feel unworthy? You know, where did they take on the message? I don't matter. It doesn't matter what happens to me. My wants don't matter. That they're in a state of deprivation. Not wanting is a state of deprivation, right? So you could ask your character those questions. You know, because a character who is not wanting and just servicing, has become expert at that. They're picking their survival and safety over their want. And they, my friend once said to me, and she, you know, I'll be honest, she was talking about me at the time, you've probably, you know, that I'd become expert at having little wants. I was become really expert at having little wants because big ones just, I just felt like I didn't deserve it or it didn't feel possible, it was too vulnerable, you know, but wants, are about being seen and validated and acknowledged. So if they're not met, then the brain starts to believe that needs are negotiable. 
which of course they are not, right? So there's the want and the need coming in. Do you see how that dovetailed in? If you're not allowed to have wants because you're unworthy, behind the want is a need. Suddenly the brain's saying, well, my needs are negotiable. So suddenly your character who you say, oh, they don't want anything. What is going on there? So to let your character have a want is to take back that character's agency and power, to take back a sense of worth. Um, and you know, I, I do think giving a character a want, if you just keep writing characters who don't want anything, I really, really want you to do a writing exercise with a character who boldly wants something, boldly, specifically, because your brain needs to see that, yes, that doesn't mean that it's not guaranteed they'll get it, but it does create narrative tension, that uncertainty of them not getting it, that is the narrative tension. And that's why they're the heroes because we may not be bold enough to want that, but they are. And yes, it may be the wrong want, but guess what? By the end of the movie, unless it's a tragedy, their need will get met and that's far more important than the want getting met. So they get something incredible from that quote unquote bad want. There aren't, you know, so you have to, you know, think of your character as somebody so beloved, you know, that they're, they're worthy enough to have that want. Lorraine, sorry, go ahead. Well, if it's, if you can't quite grasp that with your own character, or it's really painful, right. an exercise is to use a character in a movie or a TV show that clearly has a want that you love, that you feel like you can write and create a scene with them. So you can practice what it feels like to write a character with a strong want, right? Out of right. context, like, like you were great. writing a spec version of it. So Michael Douglas, <laughs> how would you write a scene with him in a different confrontation? right? Or Black Panther or Joy or take a character that you love that you connect to and write them wanting something. It feels really powerful to do that. And, and your no, brain is no going to be so happy. You. There's no stakes. Yeah. And your brain's going to be like, oh my yes. God, this is so much fun. And it's so much easier to write this than the shit yes. that I've been writing where I, they don't want anything. The other thing, I, I had a great um, uh, talk with a a, a director at Pixar, uh, Dan, and we were talking about wants and, you know, I said, okay, what, what's the I want song? I'm not saying that the movie's a musical. It's not a musical. It doesn't have to be a musical, whatever. We're not talking about musicals, but I want songs. They, it has to be so specific and they have to sing it with passion and they're singing their doubts. Like, I, you know, and, and the I want song becomes a pull of the movie. So think about Hamilton. I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, what is it? I'm not going to lose or waste my shot, right? Well, what the hell is the end of the movie when he holds his gun? I mean, it's, it is the spine of that play and of that movie, well, it's a movie now, right? Of that, of that musical, you know, what is the I want song? Write it down, get as specific as you can. What are they singing? They're singing about their, their longing, their hunger, their thirst, the problem with getting it, their doubts about it, but they just can't help it right? What does it give them, right? What does it make them feel like to imagine themselves having that want? Um, I think that that's a really powerful way to think about um, a character's want, you know. Another exercise you can do is, you know, think of your, fav three, your favorite three movies, you know, close, close to your heart. You've seen them a million times and go look at those characters and what their wants are and how they handle it. You might see a a, a, a similarity in there 
um, track how their wants are changing and track their perspective of that want track you know um i think that can help your brain see it again like you're talking about lauren in a safe way right it's out there right it's not me it's characters i love um and you know i think if you have trouble feeling wants well you can feel a want like i always like i can i can i know what it feels like to want a cookie <laughs> like i have wants right like just know it in your body when it comes up if you have trouble with it um go Lori. <laughs> just realized so as you're talking and I'm thinking about my own life and my own wants and I'm having some uh upsetting epiphanies over here mm -hmm. um and I realized the three movies that I always think of and I have yet to be able to find like a really strong clear thematic connection but I realized in all three movies the main characters are just trying to get back to the way things were in one way or another. <laughs> well, what's great about that is that's, your, that's so great. Go figure out how they did it. Now you have a blueprint. Yeah. Yeah. But it was how like, those wow. characters stayed okay. active. Yeah. I mean, one is clearly the upside down, right? One is, you know, not, doesn't fit. One is trying to vault over so fast, not having to do the work to just get way into the future, right? right? But the two with women as main characters are the ones just trying to like, no, stop, the, stop interrupting me. Some trauma happens to them. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, ah, right? Mm -hmm. And they're both, uh, they're all comedies, which is funny. So, uh, but interesting. interesting. Awesome. And then See I look at my- and then I look at my own life and I'm like, oh, okay. Cool, yeah, cool. I know Thanks that'll happen. Talk, Meg. Wants are gonna Thanks bring up, talk. you're welcome. <laughs> Wants are gonna bring it up. We talk about being an artist is evolving. This is gonna, it's gonna bring some things up for you to look at. The other, you can do also do a writing exercise where if your if um, resistance to the want, okay? Not the want itself, but if your resistance to the want was personified, name it, what's it wearing? What's its attitude? Give it an, really put it outside of yourself in front of you and find out what it wants. What's the danger of wanting? You know, if, why is it not safe? Let it talk to you and then do the same thing with your want. Personify it, let it talk to you, let it talk back to you so that you can start asking, get some objectivity. So on that stuff where it's saying, you will die a fiery death. You know, is that true? Not really, right? Like it might feel that way, but you're not actually going to die in that most meeting or whatever. You're not actually going to have a heart attack and die, right? Um, and the last thing in terms of wants, it's someone said to me once, um, my friend Madeline, who also is the one who had the idea of thinking of yourself and your wants as you would a beloved, a beloved person. Um, you know, wants are about giving you meaning and purpose in your life they're a big deal. They're a big deal. And they lead you to your meaning and purpose. So you can think about that too. If you have a character who you're like, they don't want anything. First of all, what's their fears of wanting all the stuff we talked about, but also ultimately, I know that you want your character to have meaning and purpose in their life. And if they were brave enough to want, where would it lead them? Where would it, where, where would those wants leave them? If again, they're good wants and they're wants that they should have. Um, and if they're resistance wants, i.e. sadness cannot touch the core memories, God help us. What's the reverse of that? The reverse of that is, oh my God, sadness has to touch the core memories and I have to help her do it because I've learned the opposite of what I thought was true. Um, so 
Jeff, do you have any questions? That's kind of what I had to say today about wants. Um, do you have any? I'm certainly thinking about like, like the unwitting hero, like that can be a tough one. I mean, like in Harry Potter, he's thrust into being chosen into this role and it feels like he doesn't want to be the hero, but he's thrust into it. Like, it's like his want is to just be normal. And I think I'm kind of asking this because I've been mulling around with this story where I'm interested in this character who like is dealing with baggage that his hometown knows about and he wants to move and just be normal and like let go of that so i i don't know i i think like is is that a want you ever encounter where like someone wants to just repress their specialness i don't know if that's i mean sure i mean again high math i'm not meaning if it's hard there's a reason it's hard because it's super high math it's much easier to have Aladdin sing and look at the castle and say, I'm not just a rug rack and fight you all. I wish I was somebody else. And right. then guess what happens? Here comes a genie. You want to yeah. be somebody else? Let's see how that works out for you. Right. And you're kind of right. You're kind of wrong, right? Your, your, your longing is right. But the how you're talking about doing it is kind of wrong. Let's take that on a spin. That's much easier to do, right? If you're doing the thrust in, you know, the, the, the reason that's high math is you have to keep Harry active. He can't just be responding to everybody, right? He can't, mm -hmm. th that is going to get, really boring right so if if you said to me write that movie i would look at harry potter i'd look at four other characters who are beloved who have thread that needle and how did they do it how did they do it there's a craft to that there right. is a artistry to keeping me attached to that character and you know harry potter it's because he is special and he's the chosen one. I mean, that's a whole subgenre. Chosen the, one stories are tricky. Chosen one stories are a whole genre. And I am mm -hmm. sure there is story math in order to make them active. Their resistance to it, um, that they don't, you know, I, I'm thinking of Hunger Games, right? Like she doesn't want to be the leader. But, you know, my God, after the third movie of her saying, but I don't want to lead. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like just <laughs> fucking lead already, right? Well, like when you... When you look at a TV show like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? She does not want to be the Vampire Slayer, right? So how she navigates being the Vampire Slayer and how she tries to navigate being, you know, quote, just a normal high school girl, right? Mm -hmm. And how each season the stakes were raised, right? And then, you know, eventually, I think season four, she started to get really self-destructive, right? It's sort of that balance, that conversation constantly between, I don't want to be the chosen one, I am the chosen one and identity is my takeaway. Right? I do but think it is very high math. There is a yeah. big difference though between Harry Potter and Buffy because Buffy oh, just yes. wants to, she just wants to be normal. So then immediately my writer brain goes, well, what's normal to her? Yes. How do you make me want that for her? How do you give me a scene that I see the seductive juice and the, the warm bath of being normal and then pull it away from her? And why do I really not want to be the vampire slayer? Like, I still have to want those things, right? I can't mm -hmm. be watching her and thinking, fuck, girl, go be a vampire slayer. That's so much more cool. Like, you have to make me want to be normal. That's a high math uh, story math. Figure that one out. Mm -hmm. Whereas Harry Potter, fucking his nope. life sucks. He's, yep. he's living under the steps. We all want him. He is horrible family. We want him to get out of. There is no subtlety. And I mean this in a mm -hmm. good way to that family being a bunch of dickheads, right, right to him. Mm -hmm. So do, what do we want to be not with them, to not be them, to not be everything they say I am. They are defining him over and over. You're just this. You're nothing. You're nothing. Your, your value and self-worth is nothing. And then somebody comes along and goes, they're wrong. Not only are you something, 
you are the most important something. Mm. So even though Harry might be like, that's a little bit scary. That's a lot of responsibility. We all fucking want that for him. And I'm sorry, some part of him, whether he's admitting it or not, wants it too. Like I can, all of us want that. All of us want to be the chosen one. Mm-hmm. It's, it would be scary. And that's the story. That's the narrative, which is like, how, what does that mean? Who the hell is this guy? You mean I'm going to have, I, maybe I'll just have friends that maybe I don't want because there's a lot of people who don't want me to be the chosen. There's problems, there's challenges, there's narrative difficulty to being the chosen one, but it's very specific where they start him, like mm. under the steps, like it's like not subtle um, because you know it's what? great because it's, it's fairy tale. So but, it's, there is a want there, there is. Yeah, I but think- Jeff, to your question about wanting to be normal, right? Again, Meg's point about, well, what is normal giving him? Is it running away from shame? Yeah. being exposed like what is the real conflict that's happening right because Buffy there's a it's a much different conversation right because there is wish fulfillment and being a vampire slayer but we also do want her to be able to be normal right that's a great I think yeah I think the story I'm looking at like basically there's a family member in his family who's very sick and so everyone places victim status on him like oh I'm so sorry this must be so hard and he wants to just create a life where he feels like he can be normal and not have to bear the burden of that family member's illness. So it's, I think he's running from shame. I don't know if that's- So this is a little tricky and this is now, and, I, I'm, a, and I'm not saying this about your story, Jeff, because yeah. I don't know your story. So right. I'm just pinging off of that. Well, the story's not working, so- Well, don't take yeah. this as a note because I haven't read your stuff and don't right. know the log line. Yeah. Be very, very careful, especially emerging writers or all of us, that you're not psychologically- protecting yourself by giving the true challenge problem need and want to the other character that your main character has to deal with right being ill is the other character's problem yeah so you already have a have a hollow character because your logline that you just pitched intuitively was about the other character right I know I'm realizing that during this. So, you know what I'm saying? So, and this is so normal that you, a first draft, a barf draft, you don't even realize you don't have the main character, Mm -hmm. right? That the main character is the person that you were watching, right? That this character was watching, right? And that, and the young, young writers do this a lot where I mean in age now, and I didn't say, I said young on purpose because they are still so young that they believe their life is all the fault of their parents, (laughs) right? And maybe a lot of it is. Uh, but so their stories are about their parents and why can't their parents change? Why can't their parents see them? Why can't their parents change what they did from that trauma that, that separated the family or whatever, right? Because they're, they have a question about why the fuck did that happen? Why the fuck didn't you see me? Why the fuck didn't you recognize me? All of that stuff, right? Very legitimate. But as a story, you're trying to tell, not you, Jeff, a writer is trying to tell the story of the parent. Mm but their experience is not of the parent. They're trying to rehabilitate the parent. Again, I'm not saying this is your story. It's not, right. it's just something that brings up. That's tricky, man, because that's not your story to tell. I'm not saying you can't tell that story, but if you're 20 years old, the stronger story to tell is yours. Mm-hmm. So I had a friend and we were gonna write something together based on his life in which uh, super religious and his mother in his mind as a, as a teenager, I'm not saying this is what happened, came home and um, said, I don't, I'm not religious anymore and I'm leaving the family. And so he wrote many drafts of a script from her point of view. Why would she do that? What was it like? 
you know, to discover that, to discover these things about her, which is a very wonderful, valid movie, by the way. I'm not saying don't do that movie. But when I was like, you know what, John, why don't you write it from your point of view of a teenage boy whose mother walked out of the house and his father didn't handle it well. And suddenly he's the adult and has to take care of all these kids and stay in the religion and suddenly decides, well, then I'll just be God, fuck it. Right? Like then, it, and suddenly he's in the Sundance lab. Mm. Again, I am not saying you can't write the story about the mother, but that is not where his brain was. All of his juice, all of his lava was standing on the other side of that. So if you're writing, you're trying to make better what the trauma from the other character's point of view, that is not gonna get to the lava as quickly as your want in that moment, right? As that shit was coming down on you. So uh, I'm just feeling a sense of that in what you pitched, mm-hmm. Jeff. Like, you know, what What really, where is the power of the story? And again, we can we can talk about that offline, but um, I don't know if that is that helpful. What I'm very saying yeah, and this is all very new. This thing I'm sure, like this yeah, yeah, is like I'm choosing to write again. <laughs> it's bubbling so. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, need to barf it out and see who's I think walking I around. Yeah, and I'm, ex- I'm excited. It'll be. I can write. I'm like just looking for it. I haven't written in a while, but it, I actually am feeling that itch again, which is good. It's oh, there. Yeah, me too. Lorraine, anything to add? Uh, no, I'm just, you know, I have a lot of work to do. I know. <laughs> yeah, no, don't we all? As always. No, no, no. Not in terms of like, I have to go in terms of every time I hear you talk about craft and the way that you do and how you talk about it, it always makes me realize something about my work, about how I approach my work, the writing, the storytelling and my own life and how it's so connected and how that's so much right what you know. And uh, and then I always leave these conversations like, okay, I got to look at all this stuff. I have to look at my stuff personally. I got to look at what I'm writing and how I'm writing it. I have to ask deeper questions. And, well, sometimes um, when I'm listening yeah. to you and we're, on, we're do, doing these deep dives, sometimes characters will start flashing up in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, either that I've written in the past or that are brand new or characters I was thinking of. And, you know, I just write them down because immediately while it's up and walking around, I want to just let them talk, right? I, I might do nothing with it, but if anything flashed up, Lorian, I guess I'm saying to everybody, if when we do these deep dives, stuff is flashing up, don't mm-hmm. get intellectual Noted. about it. Don't get intellectual yes. and be like, well, I'm going to write down notes. And but because your brain is trying to get out of that back into its intellect, if we've gotten you in this podcast over to the right side of your brain and that stuff's rising up, be brave enough to go barf it out. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. get a notebook and write whatever comes in the characters who are meeting and talking. It doesn't matter. No one's ever going to see it. Let it come up. Because, you know, it can, it can be hard to get the lava up. And if this podcast did it, which it did it for me, because I struggle with this too, um, do it. Let's do it. Yeah. I got a note yesterday that I need her to have a win. And I was like, okay, that's easy enough. I can do that surgically. But then listening to this and I, and I figured out what the win needs to be and how it relates to her wants and the theme and, and, and cause right. Scenes are flashing and, and I realized I'm really afraid to let her have a win. I'm really afraid for there to be tenderness in this. I'm really mm. afraid. And so I was like, oh, well, that's what I have to go toward. I, that's my lava in this project. I can yeah. fucking write trauma until like, I don't know, anyone comes home or no one comes home, right? <laughs> the cows but come home. but having, letting her have a win that's tender which is what will make this story work and make the audience want to 
lean in and be into it, right? And what happens in the next episode? It, but it's terrifying. I think it's the thing I'm most afraid of. Oh, right. You have to do it. <laughs> like genuine, real care and tenderness. Like I'm so but good at go just ahead and open a new, the world. You know. Yeah, but go ahead and open a new document to do that, and let it be as long as it wants. Let it oh, not yes. match. Oh, I'm going to write it by hand. Yeah, I have or to by, write it by hand. When I get it, hair, yeah. You know, don't let your intellect yeah. say, well, it has to fit within this and this. Like, it, it may not oh, no, be no. the scene. But I totally, I agree with you. I have to write it by hand. I have to see what's really in there. Because when I write by hand, I literally hunch over my whole desk with my hand around my head, you know, just, right. and I write and write and write. Sometimes I can't um, even read what I've written after. And I like to write on um, grid paper. So I don't have the lines telling mm. me what to do. Um, and, uh, and then I always get at something. Well, it's funny because you're, end of the page, you your know? third rail is tenderness and mine, what I, I, all of a sudden, like they get really angry. They get ragey, man. They get fucking ragey. Ang- angry. Yeah. 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 Cause you know, I was not allowed to be mad as a kid. So girls aren't allowed to be mad either. Right. Right. Um, so right. it's really fun to take on a character anger when you meet her. Was super easy. Anger was the go-to for See, me. For, right? me so like... for me to take on a character who's <laughs> mad is so much fun. Like, because it's my third rail to just have her be like, fuck you. I don't care what you think. I'm like, like sometimes taking the opposite is so fucking, yes. it just changes your brain chemistry. Cause it's like yeah. the world didn't end when she was like, yeah, you think I'm selfish. Yeah. Guess what I am? I don't fucking care. Bye-bye. Now, yes, of course she has to evolve and balance out. She's out of balance. I'm not saying she's not, but I'm just saying like, if you, I don't know, there's liberation too, to those third rails, mm-hmm. like the tenderness might feel dangerous, but it might be liberating too. So I'll let you know later yeah, this afternoon know. when I text you. you text me? <laughs> oh no, guess what happened? Oh, <laughs> um, all right. All right. So, well, you for all of that thank you guys so thanks for tuning in and if you haven't yet joined our facebook group uh, we have got lots of great discussions going on over there and uh please write us a five-star review on apple Podcasts, and that will really help us be able to do more of these join our patreon we're gonna you know we're really um trying to get back to you guys in more specific ways and get more hands-on help for you guys with us and remember you are not alone and keep writing Thanks, as always, to Megan Lorian for that amazing episode. And thanks, as always, to all of you for tuning into The Screenwriting Life. We would not do this show if it weren't for you. So uh, we're just so grateful for your listenership. And in that interest, I'd love to read some Apple Podcast reviews. In case you guys didn't know, um, we love it when you all get on Apple Podcasts and write us a review. Um, We're a missional show, and it goes a long way for us if you choose to write a review. So I'm going to start by reading some reviews. All right, I'm going to start with Shal Hoop, who says, this is it. As an emerging writer, I'm thirsty for information and community. So far, I've been humming through a handful of other screenwriting podcasts that are full of success stories and great guests, sure, but I've found true nuggets I'm seeking are few and far between. It's the nitty-gritty and the tell-me-like-it-is approach to this podcast, along with the humility and real-life and real-time examples that are so incredibly helpful. And if the comfy nature of Megan Lorian's conversation doesn't feel, quote, community enough for you, they also have a Facebook group. I'm soaking in all the generosity of that group. If you're also starting out and want to grow in this profession at hyperspeed like I do, this podcast is it. Montreal Lady says, Phenomenal. Each episode is consistently phenomenal because Meg and Lorian are so authentic, so experienced, so talented, and so generous in sharing their process and insights with their listeners. Each episode feels like it's meant just for me at that moment, and I know I'm not alone in that feeling, which is just one part of the magic that is this podcast. 
There's so much to learn no matter how experienced you are. What a beautiful review. Thank you so much. Before we wrap out, I just wanted to offer one more reminder that this Wednesday is our micro-budget feature filmmaking workshop uh, on our Patreon. So our top-tier patrons will be watching the feature film that I wrote and directed this summer, and we'll be going over in detail how I put it together. So if any of you have ever had that itch to direct or kind of wondered how you might be able to see your work get made on a um, reasonable budget, this would be the Patreon workshop for you. And you can join at patreon.com slash thescreenwritinglife and sign up at our top tier for access to the movie and the workshop. All right, until then, make sure you all keep writing and have a great week.